This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 849 with Dr. V. Boykin. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 849. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Going back to school after 40 is not for the faint of heart. Dr. Renda Boykin, also known as Dr. V from here on out, knows this well, having returned to school in 2017 and obtaining her BS in marketing management, her MS in management and leadership, an MBA, and a doctorate of business administration and organizational leadership in the last seven years. Dr. V's expertise is in creating equitable work experiences for women. Dr. V has established clear evidence to illustrate the importance of social support systems in tackling workplace equity through simple shifts in the social environment. Bravery is in Dr. V's bones, and she's known for her commitment to innovation. Viewing education as the most effective tool in achieving equity. Dr. V utilizes her skills and knowledge to disrupt and redefine leadership training and enablement programs resulting in increased performance and profitability within the technology space. Dr. V was introduced to me via another friend of the show, past guest, Elena Joy Thurston, and we immediately hit it off, and I could not be more thrilled to have her joining us today. Listening to hear Dr. V share her recent accomplishment of getting her PhD and becoming one of the 4.4% of Black women with a doctoral degree, her life path of being a very young mother and stripper on food stamps who ended up in the prison system, to then getting four degrees, including her PhD, in a mere seven years, 
how she used her time in prison and how she decided to move forward from that time in her life, how she sits with shame and how and why she's worked so hard to reconcile that for herself and other black women, the fine line between vulnerability and power and how dancing and stripping allowed her to step away from vulnerability and into her power, the legacy she is building around creating equity and belonging in the workplace, as well as what true equity in the workplace looks like, especially for women and moms, the major caveat around bringing your full self to work and the movement around bringing your full self to work, especially for people carrying marginalized identities, how providing services for women and moms benefits organizations in ways that nobody's talking about, of course, <laughs> and her tagline and call to action, stop talking about my attitude and start talking about my accomplishments. This conversation is so good, so powerful, over-the-top inspiring. I know you're going to learn something from Dr. V. I know you're going to feel called to action yourself. And you're also going to hear, whenever I do in a conversation like this, where I know I could be touching on something sensitive with a guest, I'll say in advance, before we hit record, I'll say, if I say something the wrong way or a way that's offensive or a way that just doesn't sit right with you, please call me out. Please let it be known. I'm happy to be educated publicly right here on the show. And there's a moment near the end of this interview where I ask Dr. V a specific question around Black History Month, which we talked about before we hit record. And she did the most beautiful thing in saying like, yes, I want to talk about this. And also I want to point out that here you are as a white woman asking me to talk about Black History Month when I'm a Black woman sitting in Black History Month. And it was a really great, her answer was phenomenal. But just that moment of touching on that, I think that these are the moments when we can learn from each other. And after we stopped recording, she was like, I hope that was okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was absolutely okay. That's exactly what I wanted you to do in this conversation. I want people to watch me learn and listen to me learn in live time and also show that we can have these kinds of conversations where someone's like, hey, you just did that thing. And that's okay. And so I want you to keep an ear out for that part of the conversation, because as we are in the middle of Black History Month, and as we are celebrating Black History Month, I think it's really important that we model what conversations can look like and how we can step into conversations and be like, hey, like, I want to show up for you in any way that I can in this conversation. So please like, call me out and let me know if I can do better in any way. And I also want to remind you all that happy Black History Month and that Black History Month is all the time. It's not just a month. It's a year. It's a movement. And so whatever you're doing, please make sure that you're celebrating Black history and Black women all the time. Hire Black women, promote Black women, pay Black women more, buy from Black women, believe Black women, learn how to say Black women's names, all of the things. This is something we've talked about a lot on the show. We've had many, many Black women guests, Black leaders, Black moms, um, and telling really, really incredible stories. And so let this month be something that inspires you if you're a white woman, but also let this be a call to action every single day. This is not a one month thing. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Dr. V to the Shameless Mom Academy. Dr. V, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so thrilled and excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm excited too. Let's talk about hard things. <laughs> Let's just dig in. First, I have to give a shout out to Elena Joy Thurston, who's a past guest of the show because she made a oh, yeah. great connection for us. So thank you, Elena. We love you. We adore you. And as soon as she made the intro, we were able to hop on Zoom and meet each other virtually. And it was just automatic, easy, fun connection. So I'm excited to now, it's like taking a relationship to the next level. I think we're dating. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> At least we've joined tribes at the totally, very least. Totally. So I like to always start the conversation and asking people, what are the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio? And is there anything you're most excited about right now? I appreciate the question. I think there's so many facets to who we are as people, right? Like you have a job, you have children, you might have a husband, spouse or a spousal equivalent. For me, 
I am dealing with the convergence of being in school since 2017, having no degrees, now having four degrees and trying to decide, mm-hmm. like, make it make sense. And is the imposter syndrome finally put to bed? The answer is no mm-hmm. for anyone listening. So don't feel bad if you have it rattling around in the back of your mind, too. But for me, you know, I'm a black female, part of the 4.4% that has a doctorate. Mm-hmm. I have a great sense of social responsibility and accountability. And I'm trying to navigate this space while also adding value to myself and others. Which I think is incredible. You just like casually mentioned like four degrees. And I think you said (laughs) since 2016, did you say? 2017. So in seven years, I think seven years, four degrees, including now being a doctor. This is, we can't just blow past this. Like this is very significant. And I know I got to watch online as you went through that, those final stages of getting that final degree and becoming a doctor. And it was a really celebratory moment in terms of how you celebrated it online. But when I brought it up today, you brought up that 4.4% immediately. And I think like that needs a big exclamation point, not for multiple reasons in terms of you being part of that 4.4%, but also like only 4.4%. And Mm -hmm. that's a societal problem. It's definitely an opportunity. Some people may not believe that it's a problem. I think that it's a problem in terms of the fact that it speaks to access. And the only reason that I have four degrees now and didn't have four degrees before that is because I was poor, right? And I mean, poor in sense of, yes, there was definitely a time I was on food stamps. Yes, there was definitely a time I was unemployed and on WIC and all of those things. And Yes, I have two children by two different fathers. I'm going to say now I was married to them both because there's stigma attached, but there shouldn't be. And the stigma sits with the woman, not the man, predominantly. A lot of times people ask, like, what should I call you? And my immediately gut response is, if I'm going to be the only Black female non-medical doctor that you meet, you call me doctor. But if you are aware that there are many of us and how capable we are, and you know you have contact with more, you don't need to, Mm -hmm. right? So it really comes down to what do I need from you? And what do you need to do to make sure that you are increasing and aware of the lack of? Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Oh, perfect. No, I mean, (laughs) yes. What I love about that is that for people who live with a lot of privilege, they don't have to quote unquote, see other people in certain ways. And I think Mm -hmm. what you're referencing is the necessary visibility of what you have attained for people who come from really privileged positions who have not seen a black woman carry these titles. And so to be referenced in a certain way and to own your titles and to, to assume that other people will own your titles or expect or require that other people own and honor your titles, that's significant and important. It is. You know, I was in a meeting the other day and it was a white male and a white female. And every time that white female spoke to me, she said, Dr. V. The white male Mm -hmm. did not say it one time. It was a work situation. So I'm like, oh, it's the things that we kick ourselves as women, as members of marginalized groups. Like, oh, I should have said something. Oh, but should I? I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be hysterical. I don't Mm want to be difficult. Damn, when are we going to be okay with being angry and difficult and assertive? Right. Because 95% of women in my study, which is what my work was on, is like, we're told to be more and less assertive. Make it make Mm -hmm. sense. Like, how does that work? Yeah. I talk about in a lot of my work, I talk about the erosion of self trust for women over the course of our lives. And if you carry other Mm -hmm. identity, other marginalized identities, then you see this in even a greater and more deep and extensive way. But this starts so young that the paradox and one of the developmental phases I have is like young women in their late teens, early adulthood, where you're supposed to be like super appealing, but like, like not dangerously appealing. And it's like, how do we do that? Like be like cute and sexy, but not cute and sexy because you'll really get yourself into trouble. (laughs) That's right. Yourself into trouble by being who you are. Right. And it's the same thing in corporate and leadership spaces and 
predominantly run and operated by men that it's like, well, be smart, but like, don't be the smartest one in the room or like be witty, but don't be the funniest or be like bold, but don't be too loud. And it's so impossible. And it's so frustrating and also totally exhausting because everything you go to say, you're like, okay, is this like on the right place on the spectrum for this environment to be like witty enough, but not too witty, smart enough, not too smart, like all the things. And it's an overwhelming place to be. It really is. And I think it also speaks to the fact that again, referring back to my study, like a hundred percent of the women I talked to wanted to advance in their careers. Yet 90% said at some point they said they couldn't and they couldn't because of other responsibilities or the perception of the responsibilities that they need to have within the home. In addition to that, since COVID, there's a 38% collapse in work-life balance. We're doing 80% more chores between, you know, 80% of women are doing chores in between meetings and they're actually doing 38% more work on top of the work that they're doing. Like, again, the math doesn't math and there's a lot of pressure. The incredible thing is how many of us are also still able to succeed. And I think that takes a moment of celebration as well. Yes. And like long-term celebration. I love how I'm like going down like the negative Nancy rabbit hole and you're like, (laughs) but let's also look at- It's my 2024 goal is like, yeah, you're sick and you got COVID, but you have health insurance. Yes. <laughs> that balancing act to keep me from getting too angry. But I think when we talk about what women face, there's also the additional layer of what women from marginalized communities and the intersectionality that is at play. One of the things that I definitely wanted to share with you is my personal walk through that. Because yes, and that's what we were going to get into. Please, I know. Here we there. go. Here we go. Here we News go. Flash. I don't think this has been recorded before. So let's dive in. On top of being an unwed, very young mom dropping out of college to have a child or and having a child and on top of being on food stamps and on top of being on WIC and on top of actually, you know, being a professional stripper. I'd love to say dancer, but I didn't dance. I shook. I shaked. On top of all that, you know, I also went to prison and that's something that people don't know. And that whole scenario definitely changed the trust that I have between manager and myself in a work setting, where my boundaries are, my need for clarity. When you go from having nothing but a speeding ticket to literally going to state prison, not federal like Martha, (laughs) but state prison. And it is an incredible eye-opening experience where you number one, see the humanity in every person. You understand that there are situations that don't make sense and that there are roads that other people got to turn right and somehow you got to go straight ahead, you know, go directly to jail, do not pass go. And the effect of that, of leaving two small children behind, it was a very challenging experience. It's one that I hid for a long time. It also led me to starting my own business because who was going to hire me? It also Mm -hmm. led me to picking up dog poop at someone else's establishment, you know, with a grocery bag over my hand for $8 an hour while the white man was making $11 an hour. But it allowed me to really understand and say here now, anyone can make it and it is not easy, but it is possible. Yes, absolutely. Can I ask a few more questions about that experience when you were, and did you say you were late teens, early 20s? Mid 20s. Mid 20s. 2004. Um, Okay, 2004. How long were you in prison for? I want to give you a correct number. I'm going to say it was somewhere between six and eight months because to me, it was a singular event. It was such a Mm. traumatic event, but somewhere between six to eight months, I had a three-year sentence. I actually had two 10-year stacked sentences and they did something wrong. Someone said something about admonishments literally in real time in the court. The world stopped and they said, okay, three years in total. So from speeding ticket to a three-year stint. And- Are you comfortable sharing what the charges were? I am. I believe the official charge was theft. I had been given a rubber stamp for expense reports. And I would like Mm -hmm. to tell every single female out there, do not get a rubber stamp. 
Do not stamp anything. Make your boss sign everything. And I'm not saying that I wasn't culpable and I'm not saying that I did not deserve to have charges based on my involvement. What I will say is that I don't think that the punishment was commensurate with who I was as a person, where I was, my involvement. That being said, in the same breath, I accept full responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. So it was a really confusing event and very hard for me to understand and fully reconcile the justice space and the court system and how lawyers are assigned. And, you know, it's funny, the lawyer that wanted the $10,000 retainer, which I provided, and then the lights got turned off, was nowhere near as good as the lawyer that was appointed by the court. So justice isn't linear and it is (laughs) nuanced and it is not equally applied across race, Mm -hmm. sex, identity, and experience. Yes. So I was going to actually ask about justice being applied equally across layers of identity. So would a white woman had a similar sentence or do you think that yours was different because of your race? I can say that the district attorney was known to have a noose hanging outside of her office. And I can also say that when I offered to share what I knew about other participants and those being involved, they said, great, we'll take them down too, but you're not getting a deal. I don't think that's usual. Yeah. (laughs) And also like adding more trauma to the trauma to have to have someone like that decision making for you. It was really wild because I had seen three or four people, you know, get up there and talk about horrific things they had done and be given probation, which is what everyone Mm -hmm. thought would happen. Mm -hmm. No one expected that I would be separated as the only caretaker of two small children from them because no one expected that. I didn't prepare for it. So to go home and tell my kids When we wake up in the morning, mommy's gone. I'm gone for your birthday. I'm gone for Christmas. I'm gone Mm -hmm. for Thanksgiving. And I think that the gut response for people would definitely be, then you shouldn't have done it. I agree. But I also do not feel that I needed that harsh of a penalty to make changes and become who I am today. They do not get credit for over-sentencing while Mm -hmm. taking credit for my accomplishments now. That's where I draw my line. Yes, absolutely. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 50 
15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. When you were in that situation, when you were, you know, in the middle of it, when you were spending time in prison, and then mm-hmm. after you finished serving your sentence, were you sitting there seeing your potential and seeing where you could go from this spot in your life? Or did that take time? Did that come with time? I will say while I was in there, there were a couple of things that were very clear to me, I would do anything to be back with my children. So when the corrections officer wanted sexual favors. And I said, can you get me to my kids? Can I get longer visitation? And he said, no. I said, no, thank you. I don't know if he could have gotten me out or even an hour more with my kids if I would have said the same thing. I can say that I definitely spent time understanding and really seeing the humanity of people and even people that make mistakes. I will say that I read the Bible cover to cover, three different versions, Mm -hmm. three times. Mm -hmm. I will say that I thought a lot about what I would do when I got out. I would say when I got out, it was 2004, it was Houston, Texas, the Super Bowl was coming, that was wild to kind of step out into. It was not clear how I would progress. It was not clear how I would feed myself. You know, you come out of prison, you read about all these programs that are going to help you get work. And I couldn't even get a job at the gas station. And by the way, there are still places I cannot live. There are still cities that have ordinances against renting apartments to felons. It's 20 years later yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I have a friggin' doctorate and MBA and master's yeah. and bachelor's and there are apartments I can't rent. There are positions where I want to volunteer where I can't volunteer. There's some states that you can't vote in. Like it doesn't, the long-term implications of my actions and the responsibility that I need to take for my actions doesn't match with a yeah. productive functioning society. Absolutely. Did you watch Orange is the New Black? I cannot. Which that makes sense. <laughs> that tracks. I cannot. The reason I ask is not to talk specifically about anything around the show, but in watching the show, what really stood out to me is how they humanized women in prison. Good. And to me, that was really eye opening because I think when we think of people in prison, especially if we've had the privilege of being really removed from that system. Mm-hmm the assumptions and the judgments and like, there's just these stories and narratives that are so dismissive and undermining and like gross Mm -hmm. and dirty, but society's really given us permission to like take that out and run with it. And when you see that 
every person is a person yes. and that they may have, be, have made poor choices and horrible choices. Mm -hmm. And you, maybe there is, is a necessary consequence for that, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they're not still human. And Correct. I think, so that was really eye-opening for me, just being able to see that behind every prisoner is an actual person that has a story and so many circumstances around what got them to the place that they're in. And yes. there's still everybody's human walking in that door as before they walked in that door or before they you know, committed a crime or before they were wrongly right. accused and then incarcerated. And I think that we lose so much of that because of the stigma around our system. And then the system in and of itself is so broken that that stigma gets really heavily perpetuated when someone comes out and to your point, 20 years later, has something on their record that still works against them in very critical situations like where you can live. That's right. And I think, you know, when I was handcuffed to the person that had murdered her husband, that and it was a long ride, I really had to reconcile that this is still a person. This is yeah. still a person. And I truly feel that good and bad is this continuum. We visit so many different parts of it during our life. I can say that I never had to raise my voice in prison. I never said a curse word in prison, which is pretty fucking remarkable. Um, <laughs> I never had an argument. I was never raped. I was never assaulted. I was never in fear for my safety. I had a lot of fear for other people's safety. I had a mm. lot of fear for the untreated mental illness, the screams that go on constantly, the the pain of mental anguish of being separated from your children, yeah. from your life. And, you know, when the new currency came out, I remember one of the correctional officers was like, I don't know if y'all seen this, but this is what a new $20 bill looks like. And just the world passing you by, you know, coming home and not being able to sleep in a bed, needing to sleep on a couch because you're just so conditioned to the smaller space. And the horrific fear that I felt for probably five years after any time I saw any type of police officer, whether they were behind me in line in uniform, whether they drive by in their car, it was terrifying. The fear of going back was paralyzing. Another thing that's never talked about, like how does one, what are the services to address PTSD that comes from having served time in prison that is going none, to, we, it, yeah, none, it's to, like, because we don't treat you as human, right? then <laughs> there's not services to give you for, you know, to offer for a human experience. Correct. I want to, I'm thinking as I go here, cause I have multiple directions. I have yeah. 18 questions in multiple directions. I'm going to keep us going down your ambition and drive. So you got out of prison. What year was that? 2004, like January. As we talked about starting in 2017, you've been gone on this, you know, academic path mm -hmm. that is unreal and mm -hmm. unmatched probably. <laughs> um, and can you talk about where your drive comes from. And also in, especially in that window from 2004 to 2017, have you felt supported by society as you have moved in all these ambitious directions? My drive comes from shame. I am and continue to carry shame for adding to the statistics that allow the marginalization of our community, the food stamps, the prison record, the dancing, the multiple children from different fathers. Like I just wanted to add something to the other side of the column. When I came out, I just couldn't find where I just needed to hide. I needed to hide and I hid behind men. And it forced me into relationships that I think if I would have had a great job and great career, I wouldn't have been in. But oh, sometimes you make silly decisions, so maybe I would have. It also forced me to put up with a lot of unhealthy relationships that I know I wouldn't have been in. You know, it's like when you finally find a place where you can live and it's off the grid and it's not a formal application, you know, you're renting a trailer on somebody else's land and then your kids are going to have to go to school while you're at work picking up dog poop. 
and they're going to have to walk down this country dirt road and you do a sex offender search and there's 15 sex offenders Mm -hmm. that live on the walk home and it's wooded, you know, so who are you going to date and whose home can you be in to make them safer? And it doesn't mean you didn't love or care for those men because Mm -hmm. you did, Mm -hmm. but the impetus to find them was definitely not necessarily the purest because you are in need. And anytime you're bargaining in a position of need, it's not equitable. And that's why equity is such a hot spot for me. And equity in the workplace for women is such a hot spot. And equity and the need for diverse candidates and making them feel like they belong. Because a diverse candidate, yeah, the BIPOC candidate, yeah, somebody without a college degree, but it's also somebody that maybe has a record. But I promise you, if you have a record and you get a job, you will not fail. You cannot fail, which leads to the challenges with belonging in the workplace because your colleagues don't have that same perspective. Your colleagues don't have that same issue with workplace trust. Your colleagues don't have that same, if I lose this job, I don't know if I can get another one. And I guarantee you, my colleagues that are sitting at the same level as me are not afraid that if this podcast gets out, they're going to lose their job. Thank you for saying all of that out loud, starting with your what you said about shame. I think that takes a lot to say that out loud. I think that a lot of us carry shame in different ways, but it feels too uncomfortable to say out loud and uncomfortable as a representative of you know women or moms or black women or whatever. Like we want to mm-hmm. be like, nope, I got it figured out. And like, I'm good <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> so thank you for saying that part out loud. And I also think that that's when you talk about that shame and what it felt like and how it was behind your decision making. I think from the perspective of a mother, we will do anything it takes to keep our kids safe. And when you painted that picture of that scenario of where you're living and what you're doing and who's living around you, I feel like any mom would be like, whatever to keep my kids safe. Like I will, this person's reasonably nice. Cool. Like let's move in. (laughs) Yes. Like that's not, that doesn't sound unreasonable or irrational to me. That sounds like being a protective mom. And so then I hear you on the other side of that saying that you're carrying shame and beating yourself up over how then this adds to these statistics. And it feels like such an impossible situation. And yet this is the situation that so many women are in. Yeah, it is. And for my most recent relationship, you know, I spent, it was a total of 10 years. And I think I spent nine of those trying to prove to that man that I truly did love him, which is an unfair burden for one person to carry in a relationship, but they were established. They had credibility, they had respect, and it was a shield. And behind that shield, I was able to recover, recoup, start a business, and then say, okay, so now it's the fifth time you've cheated on me and I'm going to leave for real. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll take you back one more time. Let's get married. Oh, you're cheated again. All right. This time I'm really gone. And I don't want to put up with cheating. I don't want to put up with potential misuse of substances. Like I will not put up with this anymore. And boy, that felt good. We're on video right now, which our audience won't get to see, (laughs) but you're like, your face just lit up when you were like, and that felt good. Like this like recognition that I'm not there anymore and I'm not her anymore. And here's where I am instead. And like this deep recognition and ownership of that and so much clarity that like being able to see what it was, why it was happening. Like there's just a lot of connecting of of dots there, which I think comes with age and maturity. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) mistakes. Yeah. And mistakes. Yes, for sure. Um, I feel like at 48, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting wiser every day. I have some friends who <laughs> it I'm... accelerates. Yes. <laughs> and 
I do some video messaging on Marco Polo with a couple of friends every morning. They're both therapists. And so we just are like talking. And I feel like every day I'm like, I just connected another dot. Like my ability, <laughs> my need, great need to feel safe is now connected to this other thing. And my like, and it's just yes. the longer you live, the more you can connect all these things together. And then you can see, oh, I don't have to be that version anymore because right. now I see it differently and I understand it differently. And I can have compassion for who that person was and like the levels of protection that needed to be there. And also I can make different choices moving forward. It's so true. And, you know, I think the first time that I realized my power as a woman, as opposed to my vulnerability was when I started dancing, which I did as I was awaiting trial, because obviously I wasn't working at my same employer. And it's really hard to get a job. And as I was doing that, I realized the power in the female form, the power in owning your own business, because you're a 1099, I was able to set my own hours and I out earned the men around me. It was great. Mm. It wasn't always great, but it was. And I'm still reconciling the fact that I was able to do it sober. I always say I've done everything but drugs. And to be able to strip naked, sober, perform and receive money sober is a wild facet of a personality, but it also was extremely empowering. And I knew in that moment that I could leverage my body to impact my wealth. Mm -hmm. It's also one of the reasons when I started my business, I didn't put out my face for a very long time. I was like, this is different. This is me using my talents and skills. And so I think it's a very usury industry, but I think there's also a lot of strength and empowerment. And from that experience, I know what I know. Mm, Like you can't shake me on that, at least not in public. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's so important. When I have gotten into conversations with friends around the stigmatization of women and sex workers and strippers dancing, Mm -hmm. this whole realm, again, another place that's just laden with stigma and judgment. And I think there is room for the conversation around the power that is there. And you just laid that out so beautifully and explained that so beautifully, the difference between feeling powerful and versus feeling vulnerable and unsafe, and that you were able to create something, do something and leverage it and be really conscientious of this is like, I'm doing this for a certain reason. I have certain goals. And I've said this to people in so many different contexts when I've, as I've coached over the years that use the thing, if it's working for you to whatever degree you need to use it. I mean, like within ethical bounds, like don't go right. you know, break laws and do illegal things to use the system. But I think sometimes we find ourselves in places where like, well, you know, this wouldn't be my first choice of places to be, but mm-hmm. I can get a lot out of this and I'm going to get everything I can out of this because this is what's working for me right now, or this is what I need right now, or this is the thing that's going to let me get to the next thing. So I appreciate that explanation. By the way, as you're judging me now, you have to call me doctor also. So it's okay. (laughs) Judge away. Just make sure you call me doctor. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Which I love that being like the end cap, (laughs) (laughs) the bookend there. (laughs) There you go. So good. I want to shift into talking about the workplace a little bit. And (laughs) you talked about equity and belonging. And when we bring all of our layers into the workplace, it's for women and for women of color, especially it creates are you familiar with Jodi Ann Burry? Yes. So she has a TED talk about why we can't bring our full selves to the workplace. Like, like it's not mm-hmm. safe for many people to bring their whole authentic selves. I'm saying this in air quotes, their whole authentic selves that like everyone wants us to bring to work now into the workplace. It's just not safe. And so can you talk about when we're sitting at the intersections of marginalized communities and then we're stepping into professional roles? What is that 
like? And also, how can we serve women better and those women, women of color and all the intersections of identities there in a better way? Sure. I mean, I can tell you what it's like for me and I can tell you what my study showed it was like. When it comes to bringing your full self, you bring your full self that is beneficial to your job to work. Mm, That's the part of the sentence people leave off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your full self, that is beneficial to the work you do to work. Because my full self would mean I'm sitting on my bed, eating food and doing a puzzle on my iPad. That's not really what my employer needs. That's not the part of my full self that my employer is looking for. So my representative goes to work most days because myself is in the bedroom with the puzzle. I think when we talk about what happens when we sit at the intersection of marginalized communities is number one, I would never come to work and say, especially before I've had a lot of wins and a really supportive boss. I'd like to thank Alcimus for that, but I would never come to work and say I've been in prison and I used to strip, but that is my full self. So I think you have to be wise Mm -hmm. and within that wisdom, bringing what suits you and what is valuable and what is impactful and what is helpful for you to do your job is really important. I think when we talk about making the workplace more equitable for women, because I don't need equal, I need equitable. And can you explain that difference for people listening? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't need the same things that men have. I need the things that will allow me to show up in the same way that men can. Mm -hmm. So we already said earlier that we're doing, you know, the work-life balance has dropped by 38% since COVID for women and that 80% of women are doing chores in between meetings, which means we're not setting strategy. So when we talk about making it equal, it'd be like, well, everybody has the same amount of time in the workday. That's equal. When we talk about equity, what I would say is stop providing gym memberships, start providing meal delivery services. Women Mm. are more responsible for making meals. Every mom listening right now is like, amen, amen, That, amen. That, right? Give me grocery delivery service. Give me a meal kit delivery service. So I'm not spending my time figuring out what's for dinner so that my spousal equivalent can make dinner for me. Cause right. Can you make dinner? Sure. What do you want? Oh my gosh. You did not help me yeah, provide right. laundry services. You know, nobody goes to, for those of us working at home, no one goes to work and cleans the office. No one's pulling out the vacuum. And if you are, please stop immediately. But we're cleaning our office at home. Mm -hmm. I would like companies to produce a stipend for that. I would like companies to give us a stipend for dependent care transportation Mm. services, whether that's an elderly parent or a young child. I would like companies to start providing mentorship and sponsorship. Mentorship. Mm -hmm. Let's talk through the scenario. He said what to you? Next time, be prepared to say this, where you can unpack and role play situations. Sponsorship. When you're not in the room, that person says, give the opportunity to her. You need both of those. Companies Mm -hmm. should provide both of those. I work for a company that does a lot of things right, a lot Mm -hmm. of things right. But in terms of those grocery delivery services, house cleaning service stipends, meal planning services, coaching, mentorship, like we need more of that. We must have more of that. Yeah. And I think we also have to look at how this is actually good for the company. Oh, my favorite part. Can we talk about that piece? Can we talk like, it's not, this is mutually beneficial. We can absolutely talk about it. And I'm so happy that you asked because this definitely translates to profit. Well-being, job satisfaction, performance, increases retention, work-life balance initiatives, optimize corporate profitability. Companies with women in management increase financial returns 15 to 35%. And there's a 21% gap in profit due to lack of gender diverse executive teams. Ping me after, these are facts. These are facts. Love these stats. It's good business. And by the way, just to be clear, there's also the other side of this that has to deal with men. I'll touch on this briefly about as much of the time as they give us. (laughs) And that (laughs) is when men are given things that improve work-life balance, they're often told that that gives them more time to work. So they end up under family. It's not seen like, oh, you have an extra hour in your day because we're providing this. 
good. You can take your kids and give them a bath, feed them, brush their teeth, do their homework with them. It's like, oh, you can work harder. So it benefits all. Yeah. I love that you're ready with the stats. Like this is a true <laughs> doctor right here. <laughs> ready for Thank the you stats. So I got much. my research front and center. So good. Can we, I want to dig into women being asked about their attitudes instead of their accomplishments or women being judged for their attitudes instead of their accomplishments. I think we could go either way with that or maybe both ways. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we can. And I think the one thing that I ask in that is my tagline is stop talking about my attitude and start talking about my accomplishments. Mm, You know, in 2023, 26% of tech positions were held by women, but only 10% held, you know, CEO or senior leadership positions. That tells you that there is a disparity. And then you have 43% of new mothers leaving their full-time jobs after their first child. So if men don't understand how to interact with women in the workplace, it makes sense because they're interacting with less of us than they are their male counterparts. Yeah. What typically happens and literally just happened to me last year and the year before and the year before, and I'm waiting for it to happen in 2024, is someone wants to talk to me about my approach in a meeting. Mm. I've just delivered, let's say, I don't know, three programs that have quantifiable increases and improvements. I've just done something that no one else in the company has done before. I have just created an entirely new revenue stream for a company. I've done that twice at two different companies. Why are you talking about my attitude in the meeting? Why are you talking about my facial expression in the meeting? Yeah. Why are you talking about it? Why are you acting as if my assertiveness, which again, 95% of women are told to be more and less assertive, and then they're told to stop asking questions, make that make sense because it doesn't, (laughs) you know, show leadership. But anyways, it's like, why, or in addition to, why are you talking about my attitude? I didn't stand up and throw anything. I gave you a look that was disapproving. Why are you talking about it? What difference does it make for my attitude when it didn't make a difference for his attitude? Right. And by the way, women in leadership in tech, 80% of them relied on their partners for social support. In my study, Mm -hmm. 89% of women reported being discouraged by their partners. So we are going to work and we are having to contend with men focused on the wrong things. And then we're coming home and we're getting it again. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here 
and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Have you read Exit Interview by Christy Coulter? I haven't, but I can put it on my list. Oh. I'm writing this down. Okay. The podcast so she, must pause. Right, I know, right. So I'm in, I'm hoping to get her on the show. So this is like, now I've said it out loud, it has to be a goal. But That's- so she wrote a book called Exit Interview, and it's about her time at Amazon. And when they were, I mean, she, I can't remember what year she started there. I want to say, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. So a long time ago in Amazon years, they were a much younger company. But mm-hmm. she talks about her experience being oftentimes the only woman in the room, being mm-hmm. in these conversations with men, the things that were said to her. She just, I'm only halfway through the book. It's so good. I'm listening on Audible. She talked about this experience of presenting her boss with the like the research that was requested for a meeting and he looks at it and he's like oh this is just stupid this is stupid this is stupid he keeps saying it and then when she tries to be like a little bit firm like her mentor had coached her to be then he says well that's because you're stupid and (laughs) and then she's sitting in the meeting and she's so like astounded by this interaction she doesn't know what to do or what to say she freezes she feels herself tearing up and then she's like okay but the last person i can cry in front of is this person so now what do i do and i feel Mm -hmm. this is the situation we find ourselves in is there's no winning and Mm -hmm. the stakes are so high that there's a reasonable chance someone's going to call you stupid in the middle Mm -hmm. of a meeting. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a one-off situation, whether it's actually explicitly saying stupid or inferring that. And I know that like every time I've had, um, I'm thinking like, I think every single time I've had a male boss, I've been treated like little girl, talked down to like little girl. Watch this. I mean, let's just bring the temperature down for a second. Did I not just call you stupid and hysterical with that one sentence? And we've all sat in meetings where that is said, right? And I think when you Throw on top of that intersectionality, right? Mm -hmm. One of the participants in my study literally said, when we talk about gender equality in this company, we're usually talking about white women, not me. Mm -hmm. They talk about 50% of women in senior leadership, that they have it and they celebrate that. But again, what they really mean are white women. We as women can't even get into a car and be safe with the airbag. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we can't go into a meeting and be be treated fairly or equitably. And I don't think all of it is intentional, but who cares? Right. And many times it comes from women. Mm-hmm. I mean, my last smack of, I'd like to talk about your attitude. Oh, we talk about the fact that I'm not getting the support I need and I'm on the edge of a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. But yes, let's talk about my face. I mean, this is not just 2023. This is a culmination or compilation of examples from 2019, 2018, 2021, 2022. Like this is an ongoing thing because Mm -hmm. yeah, you want me to be nice and sweet. Mm -hmm. Me too, but I'm not going to get another chance to sit in this meeting. And as a black woman, this is my one shot. It's Mm -hmm. always my one shot. So I'm going to lead with my expertise, with a clear point of view, with the action that I want, because if I don't, I won't get another shot. And I don't have time to talk about going to the beach for the summer or going to play golf. I call it finding your Martha's Vineyard and connecting with people. Mm. Yeah, you can do that because you're going to meet up on the golf course or you're Mm -hmm. going to vacation at the same place as someone else. And you're going to have those informal chats. I'm not going to have that time. So yeah, we're more assertive. Good for us. Yeah. Thank you for pointing out the one shot, because I think that that part is really important to recognize. And I think that in many marginalized communities, that is the case. So if you have you know, a person with a disability sitting in a room, a person who's neurodivergent sitting in a room, a person who's like openly shared that they have ADHD and they're sitting in a room, there's all these different, a person who's shared that they're queer, transgender, like whatever the thing is, it's like suddenly things can get real the stakes get really high. And I think that that is the case in many cases that it is one shot and you're showing up as a representative for all the people that carry that identity, not because you want to be that representative, but because that's how you've been positioned in the room by the other people in the room. As we 
we're recording this on February 1st. And so we have yes. to honor happy black history month to you Thank and you. to everyone else. Yes. And I want to bring us into a bit of a conversation around you pointing out when you're sitting in the room as a black woman, it is your one shot. As we enter black history month, can we talk a little bit about how this feels for you to carry that responsibility? And then also the acknowledgement that we need to be this month is a month of celebration often acknowledged one time by a company or often acknowledged <laughs> one time by a school or by a community organization or whatever the thing is. And what is the social responsibility on a large scale to honor black history every month? Just want to I appreciate that. And I think the first <laughs> response, although I really want to dive into this question and you definitely asked me about it before is thank you white woman for once again, making it my job to educate the masses on what to do during black history month. And yes. you know, we have a relationship where we can right. say that to each other, but here's the deal. When you go and to a meeting and you have a difficult to pronounce name, people don't call for you. When they say popcorn it around, nobody's saying the name they're afraid to mispronounce. That's why I go by Dr. V. Boykin instead of Dr. V-R-N-D-A Boykin. Mm -hmm. That's number one. So there's already that disadvantage. The second thing I would say is when you're the one that is constantly saying, hey, I know we're having this, you know, get together. We probably need to mention Black History Month or are we doing programming or are we being sensitive to that? Or has anyone mentioned Kwanzaa instead of Christmas? And I say that because the answer is very simple. Treat Black History Month like Christmas. If it was treated like Christmas, my goodness, you would light up your neighborhood with Black History Month facts and experiences. You would throw parties to talk about mm -hmm. Black History Month, more than mm -hmm. one. You would attend parties that talk about Black History Month, right? You would tell the story, go to events. You would, I mean, you'd go shopping for it. You'd invest in Black businesses and artists. Like it could be a whole explosion. So what I say- And everything would shut down for 10 days to celebrate it. How about that? Like the whole end of the year is gone. It's Christmas time. But if we treated Black History Month like Christmas, no Black person would be asked what to do. We would know. We educate ourselves. We tell the story. And I don't mean treat Black History Month like the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, treat Black History Month like the commercialization of Christmas. Problem solved. Where but where it doesn't benefit white-owned businesses, white-owned corporations. <laughs> well, you would buy, right? Yeah, like I'd like you to invest yeah. in, great call out. Thank you, Sarah, right? Like invest in Black businesses and artists and Black experiences right. that are created and benefit and yes. therefore. Yes, I like I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of all the people who are like getting ready to sell their rainbow flags in June. All the white-owned corporate, oh, corporations who are gosh. like, they're just like stockpiling them right now, getting ready. That's right. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. And the companies that are brave enough to even put their wares in the front, like Target, right? Yeah. They actually put them in the front and faced a lot of backlash right yeah. down the street. My Target faced mm. a lot of backlash for doing it. They were featured on an Instagram post. Yeah. You know, when you are sitting at the intersection of gender fluidity or potentially even transgender, you get the same thing. People yeah. don't know what pronouns to use because apparently it's really hard and inconvenient to do that. So mm -hmm. sorry. And they get overlooked right. or they're afraid to speak up or maybe they- I, I think it's yeah. similar to what you were saying about your name. It's like this- avoidance, like mm -hmm. this silent avoidance, because people are like, well, I don't know how to say it the right way. So I'll just pretend that person doesn't exist and call out everyone else by name, involve everyone else intentionally and be like, well, but I don't quite know their pronouns. So I'm just going to not say anything. That's right. <laughs> 
Which, which is a real strong message. It's a real strong message. And I get it. People mm-hmm. don't want to say the wrong thing. And people will argue that it's unsafe to say the wrong thing. And t- what I say to that is, you know, Black people in the South were also afraid. Somehow we managed mm-hmm. to persevere. We learned how to decode the situations. We learned how yeah. to smile more. You know, my husband, who's darker complected than me, which isn't hard to do, but he says, hey, bud, and hi, how you doing? And he says it louder. And he says it all the time, like he's approaching a woman in a dark alley. Like everybody mm-hmm. feels safe. It's okay. It's okay if it's hard for you. You. Welcome to the experience of the rest of the marginalized communities. You're going to make it through. I believe in you. Yes. Oh my goodness. I feel like I could keep going in so many directions. Is, is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you want to dig into or that you want to leave us with before we have our wrap up questions? I would say what I want to leave you with is go to your companies and tell them you want equity for your workplace experience. Mm. Tell them that you want the social support systems <laughs> that will allow you to contribute to closing that 21% profit gap and pulling in that 15 to 35% of increased profits when you have gender diverse teams. Tell them you want laundry services. Tell them you want mentorship. Tell them you want coaching. Tell them that your ambition is not up for discussion. Tell them that you have the right to say yes to things that serve you. Tell them that you want to ensure that you're able to practice self-care and offload some of the traditional duties so that you can be truly productive at work. Tell your company you want to support them making money. And I also want to perhaps add to your invitation or clarify around your invitation that when we say go do these things, there's a spectrum of safety to go do these things. I, as a white woman, have a lot more safety to speak up and say something on behalf of women. And so if you're listening and you're like, oh, does that mean me? Well, if you're a person who carries privilege, if you're a person who's part of a majority population or a majority community within an identity, then yes, you're the person who has the safety to go say the thing and to go be assertive in that way. This isn't about black women having to go or LGBTQ plus members of the community having to go and like fight for themselves and say what they deserve. It's about the people of power already being like, they're the people who have the safety to say these things and to go ask for these things and require these things. And so that's where the responsibility lies in very large part. And I'm going to shock you again. Shout out to all the white men, because 80% of the participants in my study, and I would include myself, even though I wasn't included in the study, white men came to aid, sponsor, help, and support. And I can point to, explicitly point to white men. Dan Tyre has helped me. Mark Zunitas has helped me. You know, there are many, many white men who have supported people from marginalized communities and meant it and created yeah. a shift in generational wealth. Yeah. So I'm actually a very big fan of white male sponsorship. Very yeah. big fan of it. Thank you so much for saying that. And I actually thought when we were talking about something else a few minutes ago, I actually wanted to call out that when we talk about these systems that, you know, that create so much harm for people with marginalized identities, that we also have to look at how white males are products of the same socialization and that they didn't ask for like the socialization. Now, some of them benefit from it and are really comfortable and happy benefiting from it. So they're totally fine and want it to stay the same. And then there's a lot of others, as you're expressing, a lot of others who are like, oh my gosh, I see this. And now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And I want to be part of the solution. And I've been finding more and more that when I'm in, I tend to be in rooms that are like 90 to 95% women and then like two or three men. And you can (laughs) tell like, and they're like, uh, like they want to be there, but they don't want to say the wrong thing. And they often are really quiet. But at the end, they say like, thank you so much. I learned all these things and I didn't think about it this way, or I can see how I can do this in a certain way that impacts everyone. And it's actually been a really beautiful experience to see the people that show up for those conversations and how they treat everything that happens in these spaces that are so heavily women dominated. They treat it like 
sacred sense of responsibility and like yeah. they, it's an honor for them to be there. And I, so I appreciate you pointing that out as well. I think that's really important. And it's also fun to kind of call them by name and tokenize them a little bit because we're used to it, right? Like <laughs> we could do that too. It feels kind of fun. Like, oh, I got one. I got one. I got a white male. I got one. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. So can you tell us where you're sitting right now, having just gotten this PhD, wrapping up your four yeah. degrees in seven years? Can you tell us a little bit about how you're currently showing up as a shameless leader? Oh, what a great question. I'm trying to do my best. You know, one of the things I'm really focused on right now is getting the word out. So I want to speak any and every place I possibly can. Women deserve to know that social support is an equity play. Don't feel bad about getting your house cleaned. It's an equity play. Yeah. I'm in the process of writing. I don't know why I would ever pick up a pen again after <laughs> writing a dissertation, but I'm in the process of writing articles and a book, which is really exciting. In my current professional day job role, I'm in charge of many of the facets of leadership development and building equity into and expanding equity that is already existing within those programs is extremely important to me. And then I do a, a ton of mentorship. I work with uh, Rework all of the time. It's a phenomenal program for those from marginalized communities who are trying to break into sales. So if you have something that you're doing, drvboykin.com. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say, I want people <laughs> to go hire you, to bring you on, like, you know, bring you on as, as a speaker and a trainer and mentorship as well. So thank you for all of that. Can you tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. And also yeah. how are your kids now? We didn't talk about their ages. My kid. So my son actually is working at the same place that I am. I'm so amazingly proud of all that he has overcome. And it's incredible. I want to say he's like 27. I'm probably getting that wrong. 95, 2004. Math. It's the math. My daughter just told me. 20, what? If he, he was born in 95, did you say? Yes. How old is he? 29. Well, if it's 2024. 20, oh my gosh, he's 28 years old. Oh, and I'm 50. Son of a gun. My daughter is 25 as she's a nurse. How I'm showing up as a shameless mom is number one, I'm telling my daughter, hey, if I told you you're going to meet the perfect guy at 35, how would you live your life until then to take that mm, pressure off and allow her yeah. to fully develop herself and supporting her through school? And then my son is also in school and I'm so proud of the way that he treats the women in his life. It's phenomenal. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. So we're going to link up where people can find you. We'll point them to your site. And can you say your website one more time? So I make sure I get it right in the show notes. You got it. drvboykin.com. Okay. So we'll link that in the show notes. And then any other links would you like us to drop? Do you want me to put your LinkedIn in there as well? Absolutely. My LinkedIn, because that's where I say all the stuff that is always a little bit on the edge, but let's talk about it anyway. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. Dr. V, thank you for being here. This was an incredible conversation. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful. Like we don't deserve you. And yet oh, you do. You are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do. You do. Again, thank putting you. things from the bad list to the good list. So it's my yeah. pleasure. Thanks for so much yeah. for having me. Thank you, Dr. V. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.